Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yes. Chapter 1. The Silver Nib James was bored, lonely and bored. This was the third time that his parents had left him alone for the weekend, and the first two times hadn't been much fun either. There had been a flutter of excitement in the family when his mum had first accepted a new job in Germany, but it was short-lived once the realisation of the situation set in. Now his parents were spending every other weekend looking for apartments in Berlin, while James sat in his bedroom endeavouring to learn a language he wasn't the slightest bit interested in. He was twelve, in his second year at Patcham High School, but after Christmas he would be in a new home starting at a new school in a new country. It was dark outside, the window blind was up, and he rose from his small desk to close it. He looked out across the back garden, hoping to see something out of the ordinary. This time last year he'd started on an adventure, and he longed for another one to begin. He shut the blind and got ready for bed. That night he dreamed of greedy rats, a dangerous dive, and a snake so venomous that no one ever survived its bite. Well, almost no one. Saturday morning came, dull and grey, and just as boring as the night before. James's alarm had woken him early, but he'd hit snooze a few times and was enjoying the warmth of his duvet. If he lifted his head, he could see the edge of his German textbook staring at him from his desk so he kept his cheek pressed firmly against his pillow until he heard the doorbell chime. He ignored it, then checked the time. 8.30. He sat up fast. It was time to leave, and he wasn't even dressed yet. Hang on, he called downstairs. I'm coming. A few moments later, he had pulled on jeans and a top and answered the door with a pair of socks in his hand. Hi, Jenny, he said. I overslept. Well... It's a good thing I added a 30-minute buffer, the dark-haired girl replied, walking past James and into his house. You know how important this is, right? Yeah, yeah, James said, following her through to the kitchen. You've told me a thousand times already. It's not me telling you that makes it important. It's a royal visit. The whole city thinks it's important. Well, not me, James pulled on a sock. You know they're just humans like us, right? Have you had breakfast? Jenny asked. Uh, no, I only just got out of bed. I suppose there's just enough time to make toast, she said, putting a couple of slices of bread in the toaster. Thought your granddad was supposed to be checking on you in the mornings. A little concern crept into her voice. And last thing at night? Well, James looked a little sheepish. There was a whiskey tasting last night, so I said I'd be fine on my own. I can't believe your parents keep leaving you for the whole weekend. Mine would have shipped me off to stay with a relative. Yeah, well, I've only got Grandad, James said. Nobody wants to stay at his place, and he can't stand staying here. So we've come to an arrangement. Plus, I'm older than you. By one week, Jenny said, opening the fridge. Butter and jam? Jar bitter, James said in a stiff accent. That's German for, I know what it means. And it's ja, not jar. Eat this quick. I want to get there early. James ate quickly, 
and Jenny allowed him time to put some stuff together in his bag before they went out. He opened the door and almost stepped on a package that was right in the middle of the top step. He looked up and down the road, then picked it up. It was smaller than a shoebox, wrapped in brown paper parcel, bound with rough string, and had a foreign stamp on it. He looked closer and saw the markings were not English, possibly Chinese or Japanese. He first thought that his dad had ordered something online from China, but it had James's name written on it by hand. In fact, that was the only word in English. "'What's the hold-up?' Jenny asked, looking over his shoulder. "'A package,' he said. "'Was it here when you got here?' "'Nope, but we need to get going. I really don't want to be late, you know.' She slipped past him and down the stairs to the pavement. James stuffed the package into his bag and pulled the door closed. It must be something his dad had ordered for Christmas. Yes, that made sense. He caught up with Jenny, who had already set off down the road. It was a cold December morning. It looked like it could rain at any minute. They walked quickly through Preston Park, with its smattering of runners and dog walkers. James remembered his dream from the night before, and looked around carefully for any signs of adventure. They took the track through the leafless trees, down past the clock tower. It was still fenced off for renovation. "'Isn't it strange?' he said, waving an arm at the fences. "'What?' Jenny said. "'The clock tower. It's still got that fence round it.' "'It's totally normal,' she said, slightly agitated. "'My dad said there's some sort of structural problem. It'll probably be fenced off for years. Can we get a move on?' She picked up the pace, and James almost had to jog to keep up. Their first stop was at the Brighton Makers Unit in Sussex House, not too far from the park. James was a member of the Patcham High Makers Club, and by association was given access to the city's maker unit in town. He was breathing heavily when he punched in the five-digit door code and took Jenny through the common room and into the first workshop. It was like a school DT room, with wooden workbenches running around the edge of the room and a large worktop island in the middle. Every surface was covered with projects of some kind, lots of wires and electronic parts. "'Why is it such a mess?' Jenny asked, while James pulled down his project box from a shelf and used it like a plough to push what looked like a disemboweled vacuum cleaner into the middle of the workshop. Part of the vacuum, possibly a wheel axle, rolled off the worktop. "'What?' he said, catching the axle with one hand while opening the box with the other. "'This place!' It's always so disorganised. James stopped rummaging and looked around as if noticing the surroundings for the first time. Looks fine to me, he said. Maybe it's just a girl thing. Jenny gave him a punch on the arm. Ow! What? she said. It's just a girl thing. Perhaps you can sort your own lighting out. I might make it too messy, James said, pulling a connector out and stuffing it into his bag along with a pair of wire cutters. Remember who's doing who the favour here? I help you out getting the lighting job. That way you don't have to dress up or be on stage. Now can we please get moving? I think we're actually going to be late. James did a quick mental inventory of everything he needed, shoved his box back onto the shelf, and found himself chasing after his friend again. She had set a fast pace towards the dome, and this time James did have to jog to keep up. Jenny was right. She was helping him out. Everyone in Year 8 had to take part in the Royal Performance, which meant either dancing or singing or some other kind of act. It was all because of the stupid visit by the Prince and Princess at the end of term. 
the royal couple were coming for some royal pavilion anniversary or other, and because the princess was involved in some charity for 12- and 14-year-olds, a select few of the local schools were honoured to be putting on a performance at one of the most prestigious venues in town, the Brighton Dome. Everyone at school was squealing with excitement about the chance to perform for the prince and princess. Even Jenny turned a certain shade of red when she talked about dancing in front of them. But not James. He couldn't think of anything worse. By helping with the lighting, he'd get to wear dark, comfortable clothes and be behind the lights, not in front of them, which suited him just fine. When they reached the dome, James was red-faced and breathing heavily. Jenny, on the other hand, hadn't even broken a sweat. She looked at him. Are you okay? she asked. Yeah, I'm fine, he said between deep breaths. Just this bag's heavy, that's all. Where do we need to go? All the lead performers were told to meet on New Road at the stage entrance, Jenny said, looking around. Look, there's Nancy. Jenny was not the lead performer for her group. Nancy was. But the Patcham dancers had some specific ideas about the lighting they wanted for their routine. And that's where James came in. Jenny had suggested to the dance leader, Nancy, that James help them with the lighting. Hi, Nancy, Jenny said. Can we get in yet? Not yet, Nancy said. Someone came out a moment ago and said they were nearly ready for us. She turned to James. You think you'll be able to do what we want? I've got the patterns programmed into a Raspberry Pi already, he said. I just have no idea what interface they use here. Worst case scenario, we'll be having to convert it into another format, but I bet they can handle all kinds of different inputs. Nancy stared blankly for a moment and then turned to Jenny. What did he say? He can do it, Jenny said. We just need some time with their lighting people. Great, Nancy said with a smile. More children from school had started to arrive, some with parents, some on their own. Jenny chatted away to Nancy and the other children, while James skulked at the edge of the group. While they waited, he pulled out the package that had appeared on his doorstep and looked at it. The more he thought about it, the less it seemed like one of the normal deliveries from China. His dad had recently bought some powerful magnets that had taken weeks to arrive, but they came in a padded envelope with a printed label, not a paper-wrapped package bound with string and named by hand. There was something familiar about the handwriting. From the postmarks and stamps, he figured it had come from, or at least through, Tibet. The funny thing was, he couldn't find his home address written anywhere on the outside, just his name. He rummaged deeper in his bag and found the pair of wire cutters he'd picked up from the maker workshop. Snipping away the string, he pulled open the stiff brown paper. Some dust and what was possibly reddish sand spilled out into the street, hissing gently as it was released from the paper creases. Inside was a hinged wooden box. He opened it and saw four items that were familiar to him and one that wasn't. The familiar items were, in the order they were placed, his squiduckan key, a large badger's tooth, a small pebble with three claw marks scratched into it, and a beautiful puzzle box. The fifth item looked like it was made of silver. It was the nib of a fountain pen, but with a bit of a longer barrel where it could be attached to the pen body. Underneath the items was a folded piece of paper. He slipped a finger under the paper and slid it out from under the items and opened it. It was a letter, written in the same handwriting as the name on the package. It was from Elf Pontneuf. Hello, James, 
I hope all is well in Brighton. I am still travelling with Grauf and Rask, and things are getting quite complicated. I have sent these items back in the hope they will be useful to you. I think you will need them more than I do. We have learned of a royal plot to steal some exceptional treasures from Brighton. Ancient Chinese artefacts, stolen hundreds of years ago and now kept secretly in your city. I don't know much more than that, except that one of the treasures mustn't be stolen. It's the key to the air. It could be hidden along with the other treasures, but I can't be sure. The silver nib is the only thing that might help you find the key. Even the smallest chance that the key is somewhere in Brighton is worth investigating. And without the key, my parents are surely lost. If I could join you, I would. But there is still a lot to do here in Tibet before I can leave. Good luck. Elf. James read and then re-read the letter, and checked the back of the paper. Then he held up the silver nib between his fingers. Looking closely, he saw a dragon delicately etched in the silver, tail wrapping around the cylindrical barrel. He'd never seen anything like the nib before, and wasn't sure how it would help him find anything. It was almost a year since Elf had left Brighton. She was halfway around the world, still looking for clues that could help lead to her parents. And now she needed his help. It was, he felt sure, the beginnings of another adventure.